Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com/fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Is wood ash good for the garden soil? Our favorite college horticulture professor, retired Debbie Flower, answers decisively with, well, it depends. She has tips to help you decide if your soil will benefit from the addition of wood ash. And she also tackles the topic of ash from nearby wildfires that might be falling on your garden. Is it good or bad? And we talk with organic gardening expert Steve Zion about how you can achieve better soil starting this time of year with a lot less work. His tips might even allow you to skip the tedious chore of crop rotation each year. It's all on episode 144 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics Podcast. I say we because joining me here today, our favorite retired college horticultural professor, Debbie Flower, is here. Yes, I am. You know, especially during the wintertime and... uh, the colder times of the year, a lot of people like to take the ashes out of their wood stove or fireplace and scatter them throughout the yard. Uh-huh. And there there must be some reason why that would be good for a garden. I'm not sure what. But a question came into the uh, uh, Farmer Fred Facebook page uh, from uh, CW who asks about wildfire smoke and, and gardens. And she heard that a certain amount of ashes are good for gardening because here in especially in california and oregon where wildfires are prevalent uh, this time of year it seems to be on too regular of a basis there's usually ash that goes along with the smoke you can usually see it piling up on the car right uh, i think we've talked in the past about ashes landing on plants and cutting down photosynthesis right they by creating shade and not allowing enough light right. or as much light into that plant part. But what about adding ashes to a garden soil? That can be done and it can have some benefit. Ash from wood, like you talked about in the beginning about out of the wood stove where you've burned just logs. Mm-hmm. Nothing chemical, just logs. Can have some, do have some nutrients in them. Uh, about 20% of the content of the ashes can be, or up to 20%, can be calcium, which is uh, needed for cell wall development. About 5% is potassium. That would be the third number on a fertilizer bag. And then you can have up to 2% of magnesium, phosphorus, and or sulfur. It's going to depend on what went in. Good wood in, good ash out. And then that can be applied to the garden, but at a very, should be applied at a very low rate and that would be about uh, one pound per hundred square feet. And the reason for that is that the other thing that ash can do is change the pH of the soil. Generally, it raises the pH. If you have a soil test done and your pH, which is a level of alkalinity versus acidity, is good for gardening, applying ash may not be right for you because it would change the pH. And a different pH 
changes the availability of nutrients to the plant. Exactly. Uh, That is one of my um, favorite illustrations in my brain of the benefits of the proper pH with the plants you are growing. Some plants like an acidic pH, some like a neutral, some prefer alkaline. But think of it as tubing in the soil that's feeding your plants. It's like plant food that's going straight to your roots via a tube. Hmm. Okay. And it's the size of the tube that determines how much food gets to your plant. If the pH is wrong, it can be a very narrow tube. So your Mm -hmm. plants aren't getting the nutrients it needs. If it's at the ideal pH, then that pipeline will be at its maximum diameter and more food can go through. Now, that is a very simplistic demonstration of pH, but it frankly, if it's the wrong pH, it does retard nutrients. Right. But it's a good example or a good analogy because the nutrients are still there. Right. It's just that they can't get the plant can't get them. They're not. It's not that they've somehow moved out of the soil, but they've become unavailable to the plant. Ooh, and that takes us on another scenic bypass. Yes. I don't know if I want to go on this bypass or not, but all right, I will just for the heck of it. (laughs) Citrus trees and acid loving plants that have yellowing leaves Mm -hmm. are said to be chlorotic. Mm -hmm. And it's usually it's a very specific yellowing of the leaf. It's usually yellow leaf with green veins. Yes. And if you go to a nursery or a big box store and you're Telling people about this plant problem, they may say, well, your plant needs iron. So here, buy this bag of iron stuff and put it around your plants. When in reality, it could be that the pH of your soil around that acid-loving plant is too alkaline. Right. And so it's just a matter of readjusting the pH to open up because your soil probably has enough iron. The only way to know is to get a soil test done. And that would be the first step, really, is to get a soil test done. But the fact of the matter is, if you have the right pH, a lot of things will go right. Yes. In the garden. Yes. So the iron may be what the plant doesn't have in its tissue, but it may be available in the soil. It's just that the plant can't get it. All right. If you have acid-loving plants and you're putting down ash in your garden, that can really muck up matters. Yes, you can end up having that symptom you just talked about, which is yellow leaves with green veins. Right. And you can put all the iron you want on there. It's still not going to be able to get to the plant. Because the tube is clogged. Right. So to lower the pH of the soil, you would add something like sulfur. Yes. And that's a very slow reacting it substance. It takes a, this is something you would do months ahead of time. Yes, you do it in the fall to get results by spring. Right. Blueberries, for example, mm-hmm. are an acid loving plant. They prefer a pH around 5.5, which is fairly low. Very low, yeah. And it's, this time of the year, fall, would be the time of year to apply sulfur. If the yes. soil test you had done around your blueberries showed that it was getting a little bit too alkaline, maybe. Uh, it doesn't even have to be up at alkaline levels, just getting there. It could be in the mid sixes, but as soon as it gets over seven, then it's starting to get too alkaline. Mm-hmm. So uh, you might want to consider sulfur to lower the pH. I guess if you wanted to raise the pH, you could add ash. Yes. <laughs> and ple- people who live in very wet places, this is a very general comment. So don't assume you know your soil pH based on what I'm going to say, but places that get a lot of rain uh i've lived on the uh in new york and new jersey and and uh the portland oregon area which got over 40 inches of rain a year in places like that the soil is naturally 
more acidic because of the action of water on the organic matter in the soil and what washes through. In places that are drier, like, like Tucson, Arizona, like Tucson, Arizona, Central Valley of California, uh, Eastern Oregon, places like that that have very long dry periods, that the soil tends to be alkaline, have a high pH. So acidic is a low pH, below seven. Alkaline is a high pH, above seven. So if you live in a place that gets lots and lots of rain, if you're in the Olympic Peninsula of Washington, which can get over 100 inches of rain a year, then a ash deer garden you may do all the time and it may be fine. But if you live in a place that's dry, like Tucson, Arizona, ash in your garden could be the death knell to your plants. All right. So take that into consideration. So basically, if you're going to put ash in your garden, do so very judiciously. Right. And have at least the pH of your soil tested regularly. And you can find those test kits at at nurseries uh, everywhere. Right. You can buy the test papers, the strips, Mm -hmm. or you can buy the the chemicals. If you have kids, the chemicals, and you shake them and they change color and you compare colors. That's always fun to do with students. There you go. Turn your kitchen sink into a lab. Yes. All right. It's one thing to have wood stove ash, but wildfire smoke ash, who knows where that came from. Right. Think about all the stuff in your house. A lot of the part of California that is burning or has burned in the past is forest, but there are also structures in there, houses, businesses, uh, barns. Think of the things in your house, and if they burned, what are they made of? Whatever they're made of is going to be in that ash and in that smoke. And that can contain a lot of nasty stuff, heavy metals, for instance, things you absolutely do not want in your food. And that also includes PVC pipes as well. Right. That was a big problem up uh, after the Paradise Fire. People could not use their own water supplies until they had thoroughly checked all the PVC pipelines carrying water to these households to make sure that there was nothing in there. Oh, wow. In the way of contaminants. Because they're they're plastic and plastic is made of oil and... Oil is not something we want to garden with or drink. If your property has not burned, I don't think the quantity of ash you're going to receive will damage your plants. But if your property is burned or if you're some, for some reason collecting ash from a burned property, uh, that would be when it's dangerous. That would be if you're moving back into a burned out area, you might want to do raised bed gardening. Yes. Um, Use a smart pot. Use a smart pie, yeah. Good idea. Well, we learned a lot about ashes today. Debbie Flower, thanks for the good info. Always a pleasure, Fred. Smart Pots, it's the original award-winning fabric planter. It's sold worldwide, and Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. Smart Pots, by the way, are BPA-free with no risk of chemicals leaching into your soil, your herbs, vegetables, and other edibles. That's why organic growers prefer Smart Pots, and they last for years. Some gardeners have been using the same Smart Pots for over a decade. Smart Pots breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. Because the fabric breathes, Smart Pots are better suited than plastic pots, especially for really hot and really cold climates. And unlike a plastic pot, the fabric won't crack or break from frost or when dropped. For more information, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts when you buy Smart Pots at Amazon. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred. 
we're going from summer gardening to cool season gardening. Maybe you don't want to put in cool season crops. Maybe you don't want to deal with plants that might be killed by a frost or a freeze. But don't leave your summer garden intact in its place. There are some cheap and easy things you can do that will not only minimize pest problems for the following years, but also during the winter, feed your soil and make it even better for next year. We're talking with Steve Zion. He is Sacramento's organic advocate of uh, organic gardener for decades. He ran his own organic gardening and uh, consulting company for decades. And Steve, I know we, we've talked about cover crops before, but going beyond cover crops, if people want an easy way to feed their soil during the winter, they don't want to grow a cool season crops. I think one of the easiest things to do, well, two things to do is A, cut down everything to soil level. If you're growing tomatoes and peppers, just cut them off at the soil level, but leave the roots in the soil. Exactly. And then, and then cover that soil with leaves that are falling from the trees in the fall. Grind them up with your mower or a weed whacker or something and just put down six, eight, 12 inches of leaves on top of that garden bed. Yeah, it's it's absolutely wonderful. I, um, it regulates the soil temperature. The soil temperature will be warmer. Uh, the fact that it's all ground up makes it easier for the biology that's in the soil to come up into that mulch and munch it down. And then the rains will help leach those small little particles down. The worms that are in your soil will come up and feed on that every single day. And, you know, if, if it's a thick mulch, even at night, because it won't, it'll be dark and uh, they will be aerating your soil and, and taking that organic matter material down into the soil. And the nutrients that leach through by the rains uh, will also leach the biology because that'll start composting on the top of the soil. And the biology that's composting will increase in, in numbers and will and end up moving down into the soil as well. So you will get nutrients moved down into the soil and, and increase the, the nutrient value and you will get more soil biology. And the more soil biology you have, the more diversity and the more numbers, uh, the healthier your soil is and the healthier your crops will be. Um, I just uh, took a class uh, recently. Uh, everybody's been talking about rotating your crops for for, for decades to uh, reduce pest problems. And they're saying that uh, if you have the right biology and you put down, you know, you either grow cover crops or you put down uh, a thick mulch, you really will have the biology in there, uh, the beneficial soil biology to naturally combat the pest problems, and you should not have to uh, rotate your crops. I love it when you're a contrarian. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> and it makes perfect sense, too. Yeah. If you've got the, the, the good soil biology down there, um, and then you're feeding it with either a cover crop or with a thick mulch, you're feeding the, that good biology, and so the bad, you know, the bad, the good biology will fight it out basically with the bad biology and not allowing them to grow in, in substantial numbers where it's do harm to your plants the following season. Now, I mentioned earlier about um, clipping off the tops of the plants and leaving the roots in place. True or false? True. 
All because right. the, because they will they will decompose and they'll typically will decompose pretty fastly. Again, if you have an organic, happy, healthy soil, if you've been using pesticides, you've been using synthetic fertilizers, the biology isn't going to be there to break that stuff down. But if you if you're growing organically, uh, you've got a lot. You'll have a lot of biology in your soil. That stuff that most of those roots will will break down very very quickly. And they will create air channels. They will end up aerating your soil because where the root was is there's nothing there anymore. Um, And so you've got these big pore spaces. So when you irrigate next spring, the water is going to move in through the soil. The worms can move through the soil better. The soil biology can, you know, all of the various, you know, microbes and, and, and mites and beneficial mites and protozoa and all those guys can move through the soil and do their job better. And you're also improving uh, water percolation for the years ahead by keeping those roots in. Exactly, because they will, you know, they'll, they'll decompose. The, 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 the biology will basically reduce them to nothing. And uh, there will be lar- large pore spaces where those roots were. And so when you irrigate, the water will go down very, very nicely, which is important if you've got a clay soil. And, and at least here in the Sacramento region, most gardeners have a clay soil. I think across the country, there are a lot of gardeners who are dealing with clay soil. Yes. You mentioned a very unusual word here. I'm, I'm not sure what it is. Uh, you were talking about to help that mulch layer on top uh, break down uh, that that rain could do that. What is this thing called rain that you're talking about? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's been a long time, and the, you know, in the last year we got what seven inches, uh, something it. like that. Yeah. yeah. Now that brings up a question: if if it doesn't, if it man, I hope it rains, but if it doesn't <laughs> rain this fall and winter here in California and in many areas of the West, if you don't get the fall and winter rain, should you? Uh, irrigate the top of that mulch like once a week just uh, turn on a hose and start sprinkling it um i think you i think it would be a good idea once in a while uh, certainly once in a once a week it it's not necessary typically you know if you do it once uh, in the winter time it's not very hot uh, in many cases it will hopefully be cloudy um before you ir- you know irrigate um i would probably irrigate it when you or make sure that that mulch is moist not wet but moist um, when you put it down or after you put it down and then before you add more moisture, uh, don't just look at the surface, dig down, uh, an inch or two and see if it's dry. And if it's dry, then you might want to add more, more water. All right. Yeah. It's a good point. And to reinforce something we said earlier is the smaller the pieces of those leaves that you're using as mulch, the better, the quicker it can break down and feed the soil. And plus, if you were just stacking 12 inches of unchopped leaves on top of your garden bed, you might create an anaerobic environment. It, it can. It would help to, to grind it up some way. And, you know, a lawnmower works works well, and, and you mentioned that. Um, another easy way to do it if you've got a, a string trimmer is get like a five-gallon or get a garbage can and put, you know, a small amount of the, the mulch in the garbage can and then run your weed eater down in there, and it'll chop it up pretty nicely as well. It's an alternative way to do it. And to uh, save wear and tear on that garbage can, make sure it's a metal garbage can, which are still available. They're out there, usually a 27 or a 32-gallon metal garbage can, and then uh, uh, put those whole leaves, like like you said, maybe 
fill up that can one third and then yeah. uh, put your string trimmer in it, turn it on, whiz it around a while, and you'd be surprised at how it drops. And then you can pile more in there and then chop it up again and just do it in increments like that. Yeah. And make sure you have a, a, a string trimmer. I know some string trimmers, uh, you can put like metal blades on them. No, uh, don't. Please. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to pretty much uh, destroy your your contain your container. Yeah, and 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 wear eye protection anytime you do that. Yes, always. The, yeah, uh, and uh, string trimmer, not even the plastic blades, uh, but just the, the string trimmer is best. Yes. If you're not going to be planting cool season crops this year, then the least you can do for your soil is cover it with mulch. Chopped up leaves is great. Just leave it on till spring. And you don't even have to remove it in spring. You can just move it aside and and plant uh, whatever you're going to put in uh, come springtime and uh, keep that as a a permanent um, mulching area. Just make room for your plants. Exactly. Mr. Exactly's with us. Steve Zion, <laughs> Sacramento's organic advocate, living resources company. Steve, thanks for the good, cool season advice. Been a pleasure as always, Fred. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode. Transcripts, links to any products or books mentioned during the show, Plus, you can just listen to the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. There's other helpful links for even more information, including info about the new Garden Basics newsletter. And just like the podcast, it's free. Plus, you'll find more information about how to get in touch with us. Leave an audio question without making a phone call via SpeakPipe. Go to speakpipe.com slash gardenbasics. It's easy. Give it a try. You can also use your phone to call or text us the question and pictures, 916-292-8964, 916-292-8964, and you can email us, fred at farmerfred.com. And if you tell us where you're from, that's going to help us out greatly to accurately answer your garden questions. Because as I'm fond of saying, all gardening is local. In the show notes, you'll find links to all our social media outlets, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And there's a link to the FarmerFred.com website. And if you would please, if you hear something you like on the podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Thank you. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, Castbox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.